Now let me say this to you this morning as you greet them, maybe one last time before uh, they get to go uh, to Texas and do some things. Uh, make sure you do that. Hug them, bless them, uh, put them on your daily prayer list. And, and if you feel led by the Lord to give them a believer's handshake with a little green stuff in there, you can do that. That's, that's perfectly acceptable, amen? And um, that'll bless them as they continue to make their journey. Like I said, when Caleb and I were talking uh, about this, and he was in Texas, and I, and I said, we have to talk to the church, brother. And uh, he, he, this was his heart. He said, I will fly home this weekend so that we can do this. And I appreciate him honoring family that way. Amen. Let's give the Fletchers one last hand. Amen. Um, okay. Um, Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to, uh, to Numbers chapter 14 as we have started a, a series last week. And again, I want to preference this with some, some, um, some caution, some passion, uh, some de- deliberate. I told you a story last week uh, 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 that, of my wife and her testimony. Uh, many of you have heard it. Some of you haven't. It is available, but uh, again... And, and how we were very vulnerable to share some details, at least she was, in, uh, and some, of, some very intimate things that maybe you did not know or were not aware. But in the sense of this particular series, Victim to Victor, it's important to know that you're not alone in your struggle. Because being a victim or being victimized or going through some things in your life... The first thing it can do is isolate you and make you feel like no one understands. And we need to know that we're not alone. And so as we shared some very detailed info in my wife's life beginning when she was 15. I want you to grab a hold of this whole series. In a way that you're not alone. And that God has called us to be overcomers. And if God has given us the gift of victory, we have to own that. And so in Numbers chapter 14, this is part two of our series. I just want to talk about misplaced faith for a minute. Is that all right? Numbers chapter 14, we're just going to continue the story here um, where um, the, the, the spies have spied out the land and two have believed and, and, and ten didn't. And it caused, it caused a um, chaotic scene inside the whole nation and, and God had to do some things. And, and chapter 14 verse 1, then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night and All the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we died in the land of Egypt. Would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? They said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Let's pray. Father, bless the reading of the word to the hearing of our ear and the receiving of our heart in Jesus' name. And everyone said, 
misplaced faith. Let's talk about it for a minute. Let me, let me open up with a little story that I read about a middle-aged farmer who desperately wanted to be a preacher for years. But he wasn't sure that it was exactly God's will. One day, he is working in his field, and he decided to take a break underneath a tree. And as he looked up to the sky, he saw some clouds, and they seemed to form two letters, P and C. And as he thought about it for a little bit, he figured that P and C stood for preach Christ. It was obvious. And so immediately he jumped up, he sells his farm, and he went and began preaching Christ. He was convinced that God had led him to do so. Unfortunately for him, he turned out to be a horrible preacher. And after one of his sermons one Sunday morning, a neighbor turned over to his wife and whispered in her ear, I'm not so sure that God wasn't just telling him to plant corn. Let me ask you a question. I told you I was going to be very real, very vulnerable. Of course, I try to always do that. Is it possible? Is it possible to fail while relying on God? I mean, let's just be real. Let's be honest. I don't want to over-spiritualize anything. Uh, I refuse to put on a super spiritual hat. I'm just like you. There are times when I struggle with some stuff. Come on, somebody. There are times when I don't understand. There are times when I felt like I have been completely obedient and everything that I put my hand to is failing. Is it possible to fail while you're relying on God? Here Israel is standing on the edge of promise. They're on the edge of promise. They had everything they needed to, to be encouraged, to take hold of the promise of God. They had everything. They had this irrefutable promise of God's word to guide them. They had a faithful provision of God's strength among them. Listen, they had everlasting presence of God with them. I mean, we should say, look, they, they had it made. How could anyone possibly fail when they've got that much going for them? Are you with me? But at the beginning of chapter 14, when we read the scripture, we don't see victory. Instead, what we see see is a riot taking place. You ever read it that way? Maybe you don't read your Bible the way I do. There's a riot taking place here. Like everyone is rose up against Moses. Everyone is rose up against God. Everybody's rose up against this whole journey. There's a riot. And here they are standing on the shore of Jordan. They can see the promise of God. And fear grips their hearts and they are victimized because of giants. You know, fear does a particular thing to people's rationale. Come on. Fear does something to your mind. It don't just do something to your heart. It causes you to think different. 
Fear does something to us. It settles into us. That's why the Lord says you have been given a spirit of, a spirit of fear, but of love, peace, and a sound mind. Because God knows what fear does to our mind. It causes us to see what isn't true. It causes us to focus on things that, that get us sideways from the promise of God in our life. And, and, and there's so much there that they, they, the Bible says they cry all night long. Listen, they, listen, they said it'd be better to go back to Egypt. As a matter of fact, before they said it's better to go back to Egypt, they said it would have been better to die in Egypt. It would have been better to die in the wilderness. And then they say, now at least, you know, okay, so we're still alive, so let's just go back to Egypt. Moses isn't going to take us there, so let's get a new... You see, victimhood convinces you that it's easier to stay a slave than to face the challenge to overcome what keeps you in bondage. Yup. That's what victimhood does to us. You see, I just need you to grab a hold of some things in your life. I need you to grab a hold of it right now. I want you to understand that. If victimhood convinces us that it's easier to stay a slave than to face the challenge to overcome what keeps us in bondage, I need you to grab a hold of this. you got to give up what is keeping you a slave. I said you need to give up what's keeping you a slave. You can't hold on to what keeps you in bondage and be free. You cannot do that. Listen, if something's going to break, you got to give up what's keeping you in bondage. Let me, I just need to talk to somebody for a minute because I feel the Spirit of the Lord right now. I feel the Spirit of the Lord right now. What if victory comes in surrender? See, some of y'all ain't got it. Some of y'all ain't got it. There's some stuff you need to put in a garbage can. There's some stuff you need to throw away because it's keeping you a slave. There's some stuff. Somebody came up here this morning and put their cell phone on the altar and said, this thing is keeping me a slave. This thing. See, y'all not ready to throw away stuff. See, you'd rather, what you'd rather do is you'd rather, you'd rather suck on the thing that's keeping you a slave. You'd rather live instead of throw it away you, because it's so important to you. You want, you want to be free but you're not willing to surrender. I'm going to leave that garbage can right there because I got a feeling there's some stuff in this room needs to be deposited this morning. What if victory comes not by flexing your muscle, but by surrender? Imagine the wail of 2.5 million people all night long. In my wife's own words and her testimony, she said it was a long night. Three men took me by gunpoint. And it was an all, it was a long night. Imagine a 15 years old from a church. See, if you can imagine something like that, you can imagine 2.5 million people screaming at the loss 
of something. Church, church, church. And you know what? The Lord's judgment was swift. 40 years. 40 years. It'll be 40 years and this generation has to die. Because you won't surrender. What a waste of resources and faith. What if victory comes in surrender? They hear the announcement of God. 40 years, they hear that, and now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden they got faith to go into the land. Now all of a sudden they realized that they've made a mistake. Now all of a sudden they were determined to prove that they were the giants and the Nephilim was the actual grasshoppers. Now all of a sudden in their mound, they sound brave. And this is how the story goes. This is what's written. And they rose up early in the morning and went to the top of the mountain saying, Here we are. We will go to the place which the Lord promised us for we can certainly do it. But what we don't understand, you got to read the story. As Moses has said, no, 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 no. Don't do it. You can't do it now. Because God is not with you now. And if God ain't going, I ain't going. And they're like, no, 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 we'll show God now. I don't have time to read your Bible to you. They refused Moses' warning that the Lord was not among them. And they forged ahead to battle. And the result was disastrous. The Amalekites... And the Canaanites attacked them and drove them, the Bible says, as far as Horam. Now, what you need to understand that Horam is not as necessarily a place as much as it's a physical state of being. It literally means utter destruction. That's the translation in the Hebrew. It means utter destruction. They drove them to utter destruction. And see, that's what being a victim does. That's what refusing to be, to live in victory. Instead, wanting to live as a victim and living in victimhood, it will leave you in destruction. It'll drive you in destruction. It'll keep you there. It will cause Horam to be your dwelling place. It will move you from the edge of promise all the way back to utter But isn't God a God of grace who forgives? Even Moses prayed in in verse 19. He said, pardon the iniquity of this people. I pray according to the greatness of your mercy. Just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. But they refused to listen to God's response to Moses. Listen to it. Then the Lord said, verse 20 through 23. I have pardoned according to your word. But truly, as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men have seen my glory and my signs, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have put me to the test. Now these ten times, and have not heeded my voice, they certainly will not see the land which I swore to their fathers. Nor shall any of those who reject me see it. Wait a minute. Is this fair? 
Why did God forsake Israel in their greatest time of need? Why did he allow his people to be humiliated in the presence of not only their enemy, but his enemy too? Verse 44, they presumed to go to the mountain. Nevertheless, neither the ark of the covenant, which represented the presence of the Lord, nor Moses departed from the camp. Let me tell you why we don't hear a lot about victimhood. You may tell you why nobody wants to sit in a counseling meeting where a counselor or someone who loves you will look you in the eye and say, stop being a victim. You may tell you why nobody wants to sit in that room. You may tell you why nobody wants to look someone else in the eye and say, stop being a victim. Because they're scared of hurting people's feelings. You see, what most of the modern-day church world wants is they want a pastor, a preacher, or a leader who, who's more interested in their feelings than he is. They want a shepherd who's more interested in their full belly than he is getting them to a pasture that's going to keep them healthy and strong and make them grow so that they can be who they're supposed to be and reproduce. And most pastors, preachers, and spiritual leaders are happy to do it. Why? Because we want to be liked. We don't want people to leave the church. But I'm just, I was going to say I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. I was raised by a military man who didn't care about my feelings. And then when I got saved, God gave me a spiritual father who didn't care about my feelings. As a matter of fact, my spiritual father often spoke the same words spiritually that my dad would say to me, just in a different way. And, and, and Pastor Rick would look me in the eye as I was learning, as I was being a disciple, as I was following my leader, as I was serving in the church, as I was learning to walk with Jesus. He would say to me all the time, do not be confused, Don. God is not interested at, as big interested in your feelings as you think he is. God's interested in your destination. He's interested in your soul. He's interested in your growth. Yeah. The scripture specifically says that God don't mind offending your flesh to reveal your heart. Yeah. And when my wife got terribly sick, right after we got married, we we're in our early 20s. And for two years, my wife was so sick. That the weight of a bed sheet, the sheet alone, would hurt her body. And I would have to carry her to the bathroom so she could use the bathroom in the middle of the night because she couldn't walk. Her body hurt so bad in those particular things. And let me just tell every man in the room, you better listen to my heart. If the weight of a bed sheet hurt my wife's body, you can guess what else didn't happen. For two years... And I remember sitting in the McDonald's in Chipley, Florida. I can take you right there and sit you in that seat today. Looking at my pastor. Because he's a man and he's supposed to be on my side. And I'm a victim here. I'm a young 20-year-old. I got needs. See, y'all don't, y'all don't, y'all don't, y'all don't, the preachers don't usually talk to y'all like this. And my wife's not able to meet my needs. And I remember Pastor Rick putting down his cup of coffee, which he never did. He always had a cup of coffee in his hand. 
And I knew what I had said did not bless him. He looked over at his glasses just like this, and he looked at me, and he said, you're the most selfish man I ever met in my life. Won't you go home and serve your wife? Won't you fast and pray and ask God to take the desire away from you while he does a work in your wife's body and watch what God will do because you surrendered something for her? But you do that. See, y'all don't want a pastor like that. He said, stop being a victim. Learn to be a servant. And for two years, I prayed and fasted. God, take that desire away from me. Why well, I served my wife. See, y'all not ready. Y'all not ready. We're just more interested in getting our feelings hurt. We don't want to hear a lot about victimhood. Because we want somebody to tell us it's going to be all right while we continue to act a fool. I love y'all. <laughs> we might have 600 people here today. There might be 100 back next week. I don't know. I don't know. I told you. I was going to be honest. See, I'm human like you are. And I don't mind saying, God, I believe you. I gave my life to you. We've been serving you. We became Christians. This is not fair. At the same time, gentlemen, I was being delivered from an addiction to pornography. I gave up pornography, and now I get nothing. Y'all don't want to sit in my room and talk, do you? You don't. You don't want to. See, what you don't understand, in that two years, God was doing a work in my wife's life and in her body, physically, in her heart, over everything that she'd been dealing. And, and we would go to church, and we wrestled through it. We would pray together. We would fast together. We would cry together. We would love each other the best way we could. And, and we, we pressed through in some things. And, and I remember in Graceville, Florida, there was a revival taking place. And I'd been going for a few nights, but Lisa physically could not go. And then one night, my wife said, I feel like I can go tonight. I need y'all to understand. This was a little Pentecostal church, so y'all not ready for that neither. We got, well, I didn't even know. I was just not in my notes, so get over it. Everybody's scrolling on the notes right now. Look at it. They're like, where is this? No, I'm going to hurry. But at the altar call that night, the preacher was preaching that room. People at the altar. People were getting saved. People were getting filled with the Spirit. Man, it was so good. A revival was happening and, and everything was going. And, and, and I need that pastor said, I just feel right here, right here in this spot, the Spirit of the Lord is here to heal someone who's been suffering with a sickness for two years. And everybody stood in silence. And I saw my wife who could barely walk into the building stand up. Hello, somebody. And I watched her walk to the front in faith and stand in that very spot. It may be weird. It doesn't care. But when you're in pain and you're seeking God, you don't care about weird. And God moved and touched that woman and she began to dance in the spirit. This woman who could not walk began to do the glory run back and forth. God touched her that night. And I need everybody to realize she wasn't the only one that got touched that night. 
to that. I say, glory. Victory. Marriage series is coming soon. Just hold on. I better move on, right? I preach myself happy. Poor Breno. Y'all know Breno, right? Everybody loves Breno. Don't you love him? Little knothead. You know, Breno's been walking with this eldership team since he was six years old. And I appreciate the way the church receives him and his gift, who he is. And I know he does too. He's such a humble guy. But I remember when God brought Juliana into his life just sovereignly. Uh, this is a young man who went off to Bible college and I had specifically told him that was not a time to go search for a wife and not to come back with one. And I took a lot of heat over that. I did. This is not what you're doing. And there were plenty of girls who were, you know, interested. And Breno kept his word. If he had not done that, he would not have been in the place to meet Juliana, who we all love and embrace. But I remember some of their little dating scenes. Breno goes to the drugstore to buy three boxes of chocolate. And the pharmacist says to him, hey, what, what, well, what size do you want? Small, medium, or large? And, and Breno says, well, I've been seeing this girl from Boston, and man, she is so beautiful. And I want the chocolates because I think tonight's the night. Like, we're going to have dinner with, I'm, you know, going to have dinner with her parents. And then we're going to go out by ourselves and... The reason I want three boxes is if, she, if she'll let me hold her hand, I'm going to give her the small box. If she'll let me kiss her on the cheek, then I'm going to give her the medium box. And if, if she'll if she let me kiss her on the lips, then I, I'm going to give her the big box. So Breno buys all three boxes of chocolates. And later that evening, he sits down to dinner with Juliana's parents. And he's a little nervous and... He asks if he can give the blessing, and they all agree. And Breno begins to pray. And man, Breno has never prayed for a meal like he has ever prayed for this one. Several minutes is going on and on and on. And after he gets done and says, Amen, Juliana leans over to him and she says, You never told me you were such a man of faith. And Breno says, Well, you never told me your father was the pharmacist. That's a joke. <laughs> I just didn't use Doug this time. <laughs> Victimhood complex causes us to trust in our own strength. Yeah, you see, well, Israel went ahead with their plans without the presence of God nor the leadership of Moses. Uh-oh. See, victimhood causes you to rush into a situation and think you know better than God. Victimhood causes you to reject godly wisdom and godly leaders who have faithfully walked with you for years. That's what victimhood does. We can even pray, God, will you bless my plans? You can even claim some scripture over your plans. Yet in the end, here you are all beat up, trampled by the enemy. 
and the battle wasn't even close. Where have we gone wrong? There are several types of victimhood. I got a few minutes here. I'm just going to give them to you quickly. If you can't write them down, you can get the notes. One, there's victimhood that causes me to deliberately and defiantly rebel against God. The second one is the one, it's, it's a careless application of the promise and the will of God. In other words, as a victim, you take for granted something, and, and, and regardless of the information, regardless of what's happening, you just forge ahead think, thinking that, you know, you're in God's will when the evidence says you ain't. You know what I learned a long time ago? God's not interested in blessing my rejection. God's not interested in blessing my rebellion. God is interested in me learning. He, ne- he said he'd never leave me nor forsake me. Hello, somebody. Hello, somebody. But he, he wants me to understand that, that, that careless application of his promise to my life personally, when it goes wrong, victimhood will cause me to blame him. Victimhood, number three, causes us to use God's promise without considering proper interpretations. We take our liberties. We move ahead. The Israelites thought they had the promise of God in hand. And that they could get God to act on it. Now here's some lessons that I want us to grab. Number one, they had the wrong interpretation of a promise. That's why... When I say to you, Firm Foundation Ministry is a little bit different. Um, this church is an elder-led church. The, I hope we grab a hold of that. In the New Testament, that's, what the, that's the way the churches were led. They were led by a team of elders. Pastor Don leads the team as the team leads the church. You, you have no idea, and neither do you need to know, or neither do you ever need to know. There are times when I've stood in front of this church, and I have said to you, as a pastor, as the lead pastor here, I've said to you, the elders have decided this is where the church is going. And I was the guy in the room who said, I don't want to do that. Doesn't matter. Because we lead as a team. Hello, somebody. And don't feel bad for me over that. I love it that way. I love it that I can trust where I'm at and where I'm going with men and women around me. I love it that I can say, I don't like that idea. And I love it that everybody else in the room says, you need to go pray. (laughs) And by the way, you're going to tell the church. That's the way it should be. And so the next time I get up here and tell you the elders have decided, don't you start thinking, hello, somebody, I know what y'all going to do. Did he agree with that or not? Stop. Because when those elders leave a room, regardless of what man, said, what man said in that room, we leave united. And we own the decision together. And no one's saying, I told you so. No one's saying, no one's going to do that. That's why, it, it, listen, I'm just telling you, that's a New Testament style of leadership. You need to understand, right interpretation needs to, it, it happens, there's a multitude of counsel. Do you get it? See, some, somebody wants to come to me and says, hey, Pastor Don, God has spoke to me. Where, did you get any confirmation from that? Come on. Has anybody else worked with you through that? Nope, God said it to me. 
I need, what, I need you to bless it. I'm like, you didn't give me any time to pray with you about it. Hello, somebody. And see, what happens is when you get that way, victimhood convinces you that God's been unfaithful. And we've all been there. We've all been there. We've all been in a place where we feel like what we were doing, God has now been unfaithful to us. Can I say this to us? God does answer prayer. Everybody say amen. But he's not obligated to answer it on our timetable. Victimhood creates a but attitude. And let's face it. Everyone, everybody's got one. And living as a victim causes you to put your butt in the wrong place. And some of y'all need to move your butt. Hmm. That's going to set in in lunch. You got it. My sister got it right here. If something's keeping you in bondage, you got to move your butt. <laughs> if you want to change your situation and circumstance, you might need to change your position. You might need to throw something away. It cost me a lot of money. Did it cost you a lot of money or is it costing you a lot of life? You see, I'm asking you something. I'm, I'm just asking you something here this morning. I want you to grab a hold of something. You got to move your butt. You see, but I, this is where I'm at. But this is, God said this, but God said, no, we got to move it to a place where it's in agreement with God. God says you pray and you pray amiss. Come on. Verse 40. Were the, were the Israelites in complete submission? We are here. We have sinned, but. It's right there in the Bible. I don't have a trick Bible. We are here. We have sinned, but. No big deal. We're living in willful sin. No big deal. We're living in willful sin. But, how many times? See, their attitude, it made their willful sin seem trivial. How many times have I heard people make a confession like that? I've sinned, but everybody else is doing it. I've sinned, but no one else knows. I've sinned, but it was, it, it, I was tempted beyond what I could bear. I've sinned, but look at what they did to me. My wife receives a phone call after almost 40 years. Of being removed from something. They sinned against me. Why do I have to be the one. Who shows mercy. That was not her attitude. You heard the end of the story. If you didn't go back and listen to the sermon. See their casual remark about their sin. It showed their unwillingness to accept the consequences of a disobedience. See, that's what victimhood does. It makes you unwilling to accept consequences of disobedience. That's a victimhood attitude. It makes you casual about sin. Hello, somebody. I thank God today that we live in the age of grace, don't you? Yeah. 
Come on, I do. I do. However, it, it, I, as I look and I hear stories, I'm concerned that a lot of people take grace for granted. And, and I just believe we ought to hear, heed Paul's warning. He said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. See, victimhood causes you to ignore the fact that actions bring consequences. I, I need somebody to help me today because... Does God forgive sin? Of course he does. Is his grace limited? No, it's not. We can't presume God's blessings will go with us if we haven't submitted to the authority of his lordship. Resist the devil and he'll flee. That's what it says, Pastor Don. Resist the devil and he'll flee. No, you didn't get the first part of it. It says submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and then he'll flee. So you got to move your butt. And the reason so many Christians don't have victory, not the victory they should have, the victory they want to have, is directly related to their attitude. I know several people in this room who have walked into my office and said, I've made a horrible mistake. I have no excuse, nor do I intend to make any. Tell me what to do. That's an attitude God. And we've seen miracles. We've seen miracles. We've seen miracles. We've seen miracles. Some of my best friends today are friends just like that. Men who refuse to make excuses. You know what victimhood doesn't do? It doesn't allow you to have pure motives. What was the Israelites' motive for changing their mind? It wasn't because they had sinned against God. It was because they were going to lose something materialistically. Okay, we'll do what God says and he'll change his mind. How often do we pray with the unspoken motive of simply wanting to escape discomfort? Ooh, y'all got quiet. We pray for relief from suffering, but do we ask ourselves? Maybe God's trying to teach me something in this suffering. The two years that I fasted and prayed without physical intimacy in our life and our marriage. God taught me what it really meant to be a servant. As a young man. When I tell you, stop being a victim, it's not because I can't relate. When my wife looks at you in the eye and says, do you want me to cut it out with a scalpel or dig it out with a spoon? It's not because she doesn't love you. It's because she understands what being a victim and living in victimhood will do to you. You can't, in her testimony, you cannot be bitter and get better. No one in history agonized more over the will of God than Jesus. 
No one. The night he prayed in Gethsemane, he prayed three times, God, take it away, take it away, take it away. And he agonized. His prayer was so agonizing. The Bible says that he sweated blood. It's the mark of total submission in his willingness to endure hardships. Just ask Jesus if God, God's will is for us to avoid hardship. Just ask him. What did he say? Not my will, but yours. Can I say this to us, especially as we're moving towards Easter? The world's greatest victim, Jesus, became the world's greatest victor because he refused to be a victim. Victory comes when we seek God's glory alone. You are more than conquerors is what the scripture says. But that has more to do with God's glory than yours. The eye of the victor looks beyond God's promise and sees God's purpose. Hello, somebody. Come on, worship team. We got to be done. Like it or not. Israel made its choice. They chose the route of victimhood and they paid the consequence. They could never return to yesterday. And let me help you out. Neither can you. I want to say this to all of us. There is nothing you can do today that will change yesterday. Do you understand? There's nothing. And I know maybe something terrible happened to you. And it wasn't right. I'm not trying to make light of that. Maybe you walked through some dark times, and and I'm not trying to make light of those things. Do you get it? But nothing you do today can change all of that. But everything you do today can change tomorrow. And when my wife is on the phone after 40 years, and one of those men who held her at gunpoint... And violently raped her, is asking to be free. And the judge and that detective says, according to your word, is what will happen to him after 40 years. Those are the moments where you got to decide. Nothing I do today changes yesterday. Saying, yes, let him go free, I forgive him. Doesn't take away what happened to her at 15 years old. It doesn't take that long night away. But learning to stand in victory instead of being a victim does everything for tomorrow. Come on, church. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, This is chapter 15. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When, everybody say when. When When you have come into the land. Inhabit it. You see, the day would come when the time was right. And the motives were pure. And a new generation full of faith would have humble confidence 
and they can move forward. I want to say this to us. Will you stand in the room? Some of you have made some wrong choices. And some of those choices are impossible to rectify. Maybe it's a wrong career decision. Maybe it's a child born out of wedlock. Maybe it's a broken marriage. Some of you have taken the wrong road and you can't change the past. That doesn't mean you got to live as a victim. You got to give up what's keeping you enslaved. Let me, if alcohol is keeping you enslaved, don't come talk to me about some Christian liberty. Don't do it. I will hurt your feelings. Ask somebody, you better. If drugs are keeping you enslaved, come on, you got to give it up. If a bad relationship that isn't godly is keeping you enslaved, you ain't married people. Come on, some of you, you, you young people better listen to me. If you, there's a reason the Bible says don't date a non-believer. Don't come to me and tell me I'm going to win them to Jesus. Not your job to save them. You living in some dysfunctional relationship thinking that, man, and you live in hell every day. That's not God's will for your life. You might need to get that person up. Some of y'all got some friends. They not of the Lord. God did not join you or call you to walk with them. Oh, but they my friend. They not your friends. You show, I'll show you who your friends are. When your life is, I almost said something. When your life is a mess and a stinky mess. You know that? A big pile of stinky mess. I'm going to tell you who your friends are. They're the ones standing next to you praying. They're the ones showing up. They're not the ones who cause the grief. That's your friends. That's your friends. You ask my son how many times him and I had that conversation. Come on, tell him, T. How many times? I, those people, they're not your friends. Where are they right now? It's just me and you in the room, bud. I'm the, fr- I'm the only friend you got right now because nobody else like you. <laughs> if I'll say that to my son, you better believe I'll say it to somebody else. You better ask him. But you better also know that he knows I love him. We done been through some mess together. I can remember sitting on the front porch while he was gone. You would never read the parable of the prodigal until you're the parent sitting on the porch. You'll realize it ain't got nothing to do with that boy that's gone. It got everything to do with you. You better pray. God is still wanting to show himself strong. Somebody say amen. And God's word, listen, it, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Amen. How much is everything? 
Look what it says. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. I want to say to you today that if you feel like you've been living as a victim, if you've been living in victimhood, God is able to help us face some wrong choices as much as he's willing to help Israel and everybody else face theirs. Listen, how do we tap into those resources? You know what we do? We link our arms. We throw them up together in surrender and we accept, we accept God moving in our situation. This altar is open. Father, Jesus, just be Jesus. Lord, why did victory has everything to do with surrender? This morning, God, there's some things we got to throw away. Those things that have been enslaving us. Those things, God, that have been entrapping us. Forgive us, Lord, for holding on to them, thinking they're bringing us life. They're, they're, when they're destroying us, they're whoring to us. Utter destruction. God, that liberty. That bad relationship. That dysfunction. That attitude. Help us, Lord, to surrender it this morning in this place. That thing that's causing our marriage to suck, God, help us to surrender it. That thing that's destroying our family, help us surrender it, God. That addiction, that fear, God, that depression, that anxiety, God, that overwhelming feeling, God, that ability, Lord, that spirit to be in control instead of let you be in control. Help us to surrender it this morning. Do what only you can do, Jesus. Do what only you can do, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, church. Come on, church. Victory in the name of Jesus.